A bride was very nervous. It was her wedding day. She was freaking out right before the wedding. She wasn't having second hesitations. She was just nervous about the day ahead. She's like, you know, kind of hyperventilating. But luckily for this bride, the bride had her mother there. And her mother shared with her some really practical, awesome, and calming words. The first thing her mother said is that, she said, daughter, I'm going to tell you three things. One, focus on the aisle. It's what you're walking down. You're going to make your way from the back of the aisle to the front of the aisle. You'll pass tons of rows, but you want to stay on the aisle. Focus on the aisle. She said, second, I want you to focus on the altar. It's where you're going to stand before your God. It's where you're going to stand before the love of your life. It's where you're going to stand before the pastor, and he's going to um, do the, conduct the ceremony. But just think altar, altar. The third thing I want you to focus on is the song that they're going to sing. I want you to focus on the hymn that they're going to sing during uh, the period where you're praying together. Listen to the words of the gospel wash over you. Be reminded as the poetry reminds you of the love of God, the love of Jesus has for you, and the love that your soon-to-be husband has for you as well. So she got up her nerve. She told her mom, thank you so much. She grabbed that bouquet and she began to walk down that aisle to meet her husband. In the process, of course, if you've been to any wedding, the whole congregation stood and they were shocked at how calm and at ease and really poised she was walking down the aisle. But they all started to giggle. And the reason they all slowly laughed is that in the midst of the poise, in the midst of the focus that she had, she was mumbling three words over and over again. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. Look, we all have fears, don't we? And and different motivations and baggage that we bring to a potential relationship. Welcome to the joke. Welcome. I was about 30 seconds late. But that isn't the end of it, right? The baggage that we bring, the fears we bring, that's not the end of the relationship. Hallelujah. You know, um, only if it was, then other people pile on what they think is our fears, motivations, and baggage to any relationship that they see us engage in. So it's not only the fears and baggage that we bring to a relationship, it's when everyone else brings in their fears and motivations and baggage to a relationship that we're into, we're, we're, we enter into. We began looking at the story of Jacob and Rachel last week, a talk on relationships. If you missed it, again, it's on iTunes. I can't say it enough. We're going to continue that same discussion today. This is like part two of Jacob and Rachel. Last week, we focused on dispelling myths and setting up targets. Because remember, if we're going to kill Cupid, we got to get rid of the myths, but i got to give you something else to shoot for in relationships. The myths last week, if you were not here for it, we, we dispelled three myths. The first one was, you can't trust your friends with your love. I couldn't do it my way, right? Two is that exactly that. 
I can do relationships my way, and it'll turn out just fine. Three, don't bring up religion on the first date. Those are the three, like, myths we dispelled. The targets we set up in turn for you to shoot at was, one, trust the people who loved you first. Trust the people that loved you first. They're going to be great bouncing boards for potential relationships you're going to get in. Two, pray about the relationships you're going to enter in and invite others into praying for you as well. Three, if you are about God, then your date will fall in line or they will walk away. It's talking about you not, okay, i got to just find a godly man and then I can be in love. No. Become that godly woman or men. Become that godly man. That should be your target. Not, okay, I got to use the church as a meat market to find the, you know, the best piece of steak. Okay? Four. If you want to be satisfied in your marriage, be satisfied in the Lord. We kind of focused on that. We harped on that at the very end last week. That was the targets we set up. Today, again, we're going to continue the discussion. We talked about our hopes and dreams and relationships during last week's transformation groups. We laughed in ours. I hope you laughed in yours, too. Those are fun. Thank you for sharing. And we're going to look further at relationships today, but we're going to try to widen the concepts from just romantic relationships, too. So I know some of you are in junior high, and you're, like, kind of shell-shocked by this topic last week. I'm going to be in your group today, so I'll be there to bounce through stuff. But we're going to widen the scope, too, to just relationships as a whole, which leads me to myth number four. We're going to start off with a myth right at the get-go so you can get going with your notes. Myth number four is relationships only involve two people. Relationships only involve two people. Now, I can promise you there will be times that you wish they did. But they don't. They never just involve two people because you bring a community, they bring a community, and probably families, and those are going to mix too. And if you are a Christian, it always involves a third person, if you know what I'm talking about, a.k.a. Jesus. There's your Jesus thing. And in today's story, because Jacob and Rachel were really messed up, it involves a lot more than three people. This is one of those stories in Scripture where it's descriptive and not prescriptive. So you don't read this, guys, and be like, I can have four wives. No, okay? This is... Descriptive, not prescriptive. Okay? So, let's dive into Genesis 29. We're going to start at 15, just to kind of rehash where we were at, to remind some of you, and then we'll continue. So we're at Genesis 29, 15. We're going to go all the way to the end, 31. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Yeah, ringing endorsement, boys. (laughs) So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. (laughs) Now, I want to clear up a misconception. Okay, this is one of those areas in Scripture where we're just not sure, so let me tell you. Leah's eyes were weak, but we're talking about here, we're not talking about her needing corrective lenses. 
Okay? That's not what we're talking about here. Like, she doesn't need a subscription to LensCrafters. Okay? A more clear translation of this is tender. That is more with the Hebrew words there. Tender eyes. It's the but in the sentence that seems to make the sentence a comparison one. So the text of Leah's eyes were weak or tender could mean one of three things. So these are the three things it could mean. Okay, One, that something was wrong with her eyes and therefore she wasn't easy to look at compared to the one who was easy to look at. That It could be just that straight text. Okay, Her eyes were weak, but her sister was beautiful. That's in the same sentence. Okay, That's how knowing English and comparative structures of sentences helps you diagnose text. You're welcome, English teachers. Um, two, her eyes were tender, reflecting the type of woman she was. She was tender-hearted. You know, eyes are windows to the soul. It's not like a new concept. She might have been a very tender, nice person. So all her beauty was on the inside, compared to her sister. But Rachel, she was just, mm, right? So that could be it too. Or three, here's the beauty, could be both. Okay? She could have needed corrective lenses, <laughs> and she could have been really nice on the inside too, compared to her sister, who was just really beautiful and rotten to a core. Okay? Um, so it could have been both. So just know that as we go in. Okay? And if we look at Proverbs 31.30, we know charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Okay? And that makes sense. The modern storyteller, if you pop in any video into your VHS, I, yeah, you're there. You're there with me. This motif plays out plenty, right? We all know myth five, which I'm about to say, is a myth, but the culture plays into this on every CW show and on every romantic thing that is talked about. This this idea of, well, uh, he's cute. You should go talk to him. You know, it's always like the basis of the initial approach to someone is, hey, they're easy on the eyes. I wonder how else they're easy. You know, that's I would like, <laughs> you're going to remember that. And that's unfortunately how the culture views it. Okay? It's the basis of the initial approach. Getting to know someone as but it's that's the check mark are they good looking not i want to get to know someone to get to know somebody which hopefully is the reason that you approach somebody hey you're a person you're made in the image of god you seem interesting what's your name okay so myth five you all know this one don't judge a book by its cover don't judge a book by its cover I don't need to go any farther into that. You get that. That's played on every Disney motif, right? Target five. Okay. Might want to check the book out of the library before you buy it. Might want to check the book out of the library before you buy it. This is what I mean. Look, I'm not against you going out on dates when you're ready. When you're ready. When you are an adult, do so. Okay, but make sure you got a good understanding of the book before you make a lifelong commitment to the book. Okay, don't be pledging years of service like Jacob did because the book's got good binding. Okay, 
So just make sure you check the book out before you buy it, which is something that it doesn't say Jacob spent much time doing. He just was like, hmm, I like sheep, and I like you. I'll work for seven years. Okay? So let's continue with the text. Verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I might go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. That comes into play later, that's why he says it. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. (gasps) Exclamation point. And Jacob said to Laban, what is it you've done to me? Did I not serve with you? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? Remember we talked about last time Jacob being the trickster? Like that's his name. Ha! Someone tricked you, brother. Got him. The trickster got tricked. That's what you all should all be thinking. Because that's what the point of the text is. We're all sitting there going, ha ha ha. Leah was weak died, but you couldn't even notice that it was the wrong woman. Who's got the weak eyes now, buddy? Like, this section is literally dripping with literary irony. It's beautiful. Okay? Know that. It's wonderful. Who's blind now? Leah or Jacob? Okay? So Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Couldn't have brought that up in the seven years. Right? Complete this week of this one, and I will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Bilhah, to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. Quick misconception. People miss this sometimes. Jacob did not have to work another seven years before he got to have Rachel as his wife. He got to have her as a wife at the end of the week of the wedding celebration, which lasted a week. He just had to stay and serve another seven years. Rachel didn't get a party, though. The party was for the first wedding. So typically in all Jewish weddings, they'd have the wedding. And then it was a seven-day party. Okay? We have lost the art of the wedding party. We have. Okay? It is awesome. Okay? But for him, it wasn't. And Rachel didn't get her party. Okay? So I just needed you to know that. You didn't have to serve another seven years and then get to marry Rachel. So Jacob's children. This is verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived. Leah. Leah sorry. Star Wars is coming out in two months. Tickets go on sale tomorrow. Leah. Um, Leah. <laughs> conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me the son also. She called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Clearly, she's not winning by bearing sons. Therefore, his name shall be called Levi. Myth six. Myth six. Marriage will make you complete. Marriage will make you complete. All you have not seen this movie, more than likely, there was a movie called Jerry Maguire that came out probably, what, at least a decade ago now, maybe 15 years. It's got the all-star Tom Cruise in it, 
and he uses this line at the, high, at the climax of the film. He says, I love you. You complete me. Warm and fuzzies, right? And all three people here who are in this story, Leah, Rachel, and Jacob, think that marriage will finally satisfy them. This story is a story of a tragedy. Jacob thinks that Mary and Rachel will make him complete, but he ends up marrying the sister instead. And instead of creating a home of peace, Leah was hated. It doesn't say by who, but there was hatred in the home. Rachel thinks that if she marries the handsome Jacob, then she will be complete. Since to be single in that culture was to assume something was wrong with you. Leah clearly doesn't have suitors lining up for her, right? But thinks that Jacob will grow to love her because she's blessed with children. And even hopes that the children will earn Jacob's love for her. Look at why she names her first kid Reuben. Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction. For now, for now, for now my husband will love me. So she keeps having kids, thinking, now he will love me. Two sons. Three sons. This will do it. And, or, so, sorry, this will satisfy me. Now, I know some of you are not there yet. Okay, I know you're not there yet. Most of you are not there yet. But I want to head off this feeling as you move into your latter teens and 20s. This is why I'm talking about it now, because the number of college-age women and 20-year-old women, and it's mostly women, but some guys too, that I've counseled on this, if they don't get it, then they're looking around wondering. Okay? They, they get this idea that they're not complete until I'm married. That I, I can't serve the Lord unless I'm a mother or a wife. Or... I'm a good, working, sacrificial husband. There's this, I can't, I have to, once I'm married, I'll be able to do what I'm created to do. This myth, again, lives mostly mostly in young women. And the fact is, I can't count the number of girls I've met who have prepared their whole teenage years and all into their 20s, waiting for Prince Charming to walk around the corner. They think that the only way they'll be able to serve the Lord is being a mother and a wife. Now, those are good things. I don't want to exonate those. Like, those are good desires. Bravo. Good desires. But those cannot be the target. Okay? If the target is just to be a wife and a mother, or a husband or a father, then you think this myth is true. I can't count the number of friends or students that I've seen fall into this trap. And then they end up in relationships they should have never been in because they've used this phrase that I talked about last week. God wouldn't have given me that desire if, I didn't, if he didn't want me to have it. And they end up in like the most rocky and miserable marriages because their target was that instead of believing the myth that I, I can't be complete unless I have that other. When your target should be this, target sex. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Not a tennis match unless that's your gifting. Talking about serve the Lord. 
Verse 35 says, let's continue. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time, this time, I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah, and she ceased bearing children, and she ceased bearing. It took her four kids to realize where her worth was from. It took her four kids. Look how miserable were those early toddler years for trying to win the affection of someone who was not designed to fill that void that she had in her heart. And then at some point in between number three and number four, she realized I'm loved not because I'm married, not because I married into the line of Jacob, but because the Lord assigns value to me. And therefore, I will praise the Lord and I will serve the Lord with how I move forward. It took her four sons to realize that. It took her years of heartache and, and love from the wrong place. Look, marriage is great. But it will not complete you. It will not complete you. It is a tool that will sanctify you. I can promise you that. You want stress. You want heartache. You want conflict. Get married. <laughs> it's awesome. It will make you more holy. But there are days it will not make you more happy. And it will not make you whole. If you do that in your marriage relationship, you are putting a weight on your spouse that will smother them. They are not your God. Okay? So, I'm going to give you right now a super practical guide on what a Christian romantic relationship, a CRR, we'll talk about it that way from now on, a CPR, CRR, should look like. Christian romantic relationship look like. Okay? Now, some of these things will be open to interpretation. Again, this should be a jumping off point for you and your parents. Feel free to have your mom listen to this on iTunes and be like, hey, what do you think about AJ's six steps? You think we should get rid of one? Because I think we should. You know, like, <laughs> this should be a jumping off point. Okay? So, step one serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Whether that's through school, work, sports teams, drama clubs, choirs, serve the Lord. Live a cruciform life, loving the unlovable, pleading with God for grace to serve those who don't deserve it. We talked about this a lot during week two. Serve the Lord. Step two, once you're an adult, you can now date. Once you're an adult, you can now date. Now this is where your definition of adult might be different from mine and your parents. I'm going to be frank. Romantic relationships are those who can emotionally deal with it. If you're in sixth grade, no offense to my sixth graders, your brain is going through changes, and you have no business being in a romantic relationship while your hormones go like this from day to day. It's going to be miserable for all parties, not just the two of you, everyone involved. Okay? So... You have to be able to handle it. And if you're also, don't get into a romantic relationship if you're not in a place where you can get married in a couple of years. 
So don't date exclusively if you can't do anything with that exclusive relationship. I love what Vodibachum says. This is the best like one-liner ever when it comes to like super long-term relationships because the fact is you get more physically tempted the longer you're in a relationship. Fact. Like biology fact. Okay? So this is the deal. If you're going to be in a long-term romantic relationship, okay? It's like going to the mall with no money. You're either going to leave frustrated or you're going to take something that doesn't belong to you. So do not enter a long-term romantic relationship unless you can do something with it. You're either going to leave frustrated or you're going to take something that don't belong to you. Okay? Step three. Make sure you're in a spot in life where you can date. Make sure you're in a spot in life where you can date. If you're about to go serve in Africa for three years to a bunch of pygmies, I don't know why there's pygmies in Africa. I'm just throwing it out there. Okay? But I'm just, if you're going to do that for three years, you're not in a place where you can date. Sorry. I know you just met that cute guy at Starbucks that morning, but you leave for Africa, like, you know, Tuesday. Okay? If you're about to go serve in the military for a couple of years, okay, and, like, the girl you're interested in don't want to move around the world, sorry. Like, <laughs> sorry for her, yeah, for her. I love the confidence. Keep it. Okay. Look, and if you can't support yourself financially, let alone somebody else, don't enter into relationships because you're going to leave frustrated and they're going to leave frustrated. Okay? If you want to talk about making money as a young adult, hit me up for coffee. I'll give you like 100 ideas. It ain't that hard. You just got to have work ethic and I'd be willing to move. That's it. Okay. Number four, step four. When you start dating, you date someone who is also doing step one. When you start dating, you all you date someone who is also doing step one. And step two and step three. But it's really step one. Step two and step three practically fall to. Okay? Missionary dating is not biblical. It might have worked out for some people, but... It, it leads me to my last port, which we'll cover later. It's not optimal. And for the Christian, you are not to be equally yoked. That's, that can't be more fervent in the Bible. Don't do it. Okay? And then they should be doing two and three. They should be an adult. Okay? So, you know, if you're like 20 and they're like, you know, 12, like, doesn't, doesn't work. Okay? They should be an adult. Or, no, no, in all, like, that's the, that's the ridiculous one, right? But if you're 20 and they're 20, but they're not ready to date emotionally, then don't enter a relationship with them. Okay? It's as simple as that. Okay? And then three, make sure that they're in a place in life where they can date. Look, keys to relationship, it takes a lot more than love. Timing is a huge part of relationships. Timing is a huge part of relationships. Sometimes timing just... Don't work. The pitch is off. Okay? Or you're playing on a different field. Okay, step five. You don't hide them under a bushel. No. You let them shine. Don't hide them under a bushel. No. You let them shine. When you enter into a dating relationship, show them off. You should enter. Guys, look at me. When you get into a relationship, you should be so excited that you're like, hey, <laughs> See her? She's with me. Like that, you should be 
stoked. You should wear a spotlight. So, yeah, like uh, all the time, all the time. You should be like, yes, girls. You should be like, ladies, get jealous. Like you should, you should be excited to show them off. But I can't tell you the number of people who are your age who enter into dating relationships because the other person gave them the time of day, but they're really not excited about who they're with. They're just excited that they're showing them affection. So they don't really want to show them off. They just want to keep them for themselves to boost their egos. So that's all school. Let me tell you, man. So don't don't just give the public schoolers that. I've seen it just as much in home schools. So just know that you should want them to shine because it goes back to myth. It goes back to myth four, right? You're not the only two in relationships. You should hang out in their world with their friends and all their friends should be like, yeah, you're awesome. And you should enter. They should enter your friend's world and all of your friends should be like, yeah, they're awesome. That means you have the support system that's around you. That's really healthy. And then you should have them hang out with your family. And if both families are like, yeah, uh, good job. We like them more than you. That you're in a really, trust me, you are in a really good place if they say that. Okay? You're in a really good, because you don't, you don't want to be playing a referee to your in-laws and your significant other for the rest of your life. That makes holidays miserable. Don't, so don't do it. But I love them. Stop it. Make please <laughs> Thank you. Okay, step six. Step six. Last one. Theologian Beyonce said it best. <laughs> if you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. Okay? Get married. Serve the Lord together. Encourage one another. Which leads me to my last and final target for romantic relationships. Target seven. Out-serve each other. Out-serve each other. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then a few verses, it continues later. Ephesians 5.25-33. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved and the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Look, Jacob failed at this miserably. You know, with four wives, 12 sons, 11 of which pretended to kill the one son that he favored the most because. He was born of Rachel, the one he had the hots for in Genesis 29. And because he gave uh, Joseph a coat of many colors, they killed him and lied to him. That home life was not healthy because they did not go about it in a biblical way. They were just trying to get theirs. They weren't trying to outserve each other. Imagine how different that household would be if they were just out trying to serve each other the whole time. Out-loving, out-serving one another doesn't have to look over the top. Love is not a movie. This isn't the next fill in the blank. Love may be extraordinary, but it is fulfilled in the ordinary. Love may be extraordinary, 
but it is fulfilled in the ordinary. After dinner, a husband spent a good amount of time in poetic verse breaking down to his wife how much he loved him. Honey, I love you deeper than the deepest ocean and farther than the farthest star and more colorfully than the sweetest, sweetest, sweet, sweetest rose. Not the most sweetest rose, unless you're into Ikea. Uh, I, I love you. You know, whatever. He, he preached eloquently for quite some time. And then she turned to him and after 10 minutes. She stopped the poetry and she said, Honey, do you love me enough to do the dishes? <laughs> love may be extraordinary, but it is fulfilled in the ordinary. Ladies, so you're all over here. This is good. I got on like a middle school dance going right here. This is good. Ladies. Patrick's there too. So, sorry. He's the one confident, okay? So, ladies, he might spout Shakespeare. Okay? Okay? He might talk eloquently in front of your family and friends. He might treat you like a hundred bucks. The dates that you might go on might be cray-cray, which is what the kids used to say. Okay? It might be awesome. But if the guy, at the end of the day, shies away from hard work, then I promise you, your relationship will be hard work for the rest of your life. Gentlemen, she might look fine. She might have the best binding around. Okay? She's got great hair, great eyes, beautiful smile. She might flirt with you nonstop and make you feel like a hundred billion dollars. Make if you want it, right? But if she doesn't want to do any work, your life will be spent cleaning up that relational mess. Does that make sense? Love is fulfilled in the ordinary, even though it is extraordinary. I'll end with this, because I feel like it needs to be said on a thing on relationships. Okay? Just in case you pop this up in 10 years or 20 years or whatever on iTunes, because it'll still be there. It's the internet, right? Okay. Mm. Even though they took away my AIM last week. What the deal? Uh, it's awful. Adam World? Sorry, that was my AIM. Hey. So, what, what, what do I do? Okay, AJ, it's been 20 years. I now might find myself in the worst relationship I thought imaginable. Because I either didn't follow the steps or I misread the book. Like my kids fight. I don't feel supported at home. It used to be extraordinary. He never loved me in the ordinary. And now it's a downright tragedy. Right? What do I do? This is your last fill in the blank. And this is encouragement. This is to encourage you. God uses the broken too. God uses the broken too. Look, you could argue from reading the Bible that God almost uses the broken exclusively. He uses the broken. Some of the most 
Christ-like figures I know came out of the roughest homes. Awful relationships with their parents, but they are just some of the most godly people. Some of the best love stories I've heard are from people who are at the end of their rope in their marriages, and God restored their marriages. Some of the greatest relationships I've seen are those of a second marriage. Are they optimal? No. But it does not mean that God cannot use them. And God cannot be glorified in them. And God cannot be served in them. Leah's son Judah would be the line of the Messiah that would make all things right. Think about that. The like corrective lenses girl whose husband didn't ever want her to begin with, whose father didn't respect her enough to like give her a choice in marriage, but had to trick somebody else into giving her. Talk about those Thanksgiving dinners, right? Someone who ached for children to satisfy her and a marriage to satisfy her. That's who God used to bring about the Messiah as Jesus would be her great, great something, grandson. So whatever type of relationship you're in, And this is for all relationships. Don't rely on Cupid to fix it. Rely on the Lord. If it's romantic, if it's with family or friends, you can use many of these same principles to angle your relationships for the glory of God. We're going to break into transformation groups.